following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. I want to thank uh, Joel, Elder Joel, for bringing the word last week. Um, It was wonderful. You're hired. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace, your amazing grace that has saved a wretch like me. We pray, Father, that your grace would continue to pour out. I'm sorry that we continually need it. But Lord, we pray that your spirit would work among us this morning, changing our hearts according to your word. We pray now as we look to your word that your spirit would speak. Not my words, but yours. Not my will, but yours be done. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going back to the Gospel of Luke this morning. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 57 to 80. Uh, that's page 856 in the Pew Bibles. So to bring you up to speed so far, uh, with our, with our story so far, um, uh, again, we've been going through uh, the book of Luke verse by verse. Um, and so far, what we've read, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, who was a priest, um, while he was serving in the temple. And he told him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to have a baby boy, even though they're wicked old. Um, in biblical terms, that's over 60. <laughs> Sorry uh, if that's you, but it's, it's the Bible, not my fault. Um, so the, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah says that he and his wife Elizabeth are, are going to have a baby boy, um, even though they are old and um, they are, uh, Elizabeth was barren. Uh, and that they were to name him John. But that's not actually what Gabriel said to name him. It was Ioannis. But we said John because we like that better for some reason. The real, his real name was Ioannis. That's in, that's a Greek, Greek name. Uh, anyway. Zechariah didn't believe the angel Gabriel when he appeared to him, and his doubt was rewarded with dumbness. He was unable to speak. We call it aphasia nowadays. Um, all the cool kids get it. Um, so as we'll um, as we'll see in our text for this morning, and I mentioned this when when we hit this part of the account uh, before, that he may very well have been deaf as well. Uh, it doesn't say that explicitly, but it's implied. Uh, so we'll see that in our text. Um, the same angel, Gabriel, also appeared to Mary um, and told her that she too would have a baby boy by the Holy Spirit. And instead of doubt, Mary responded in faith and humbly submitted to the Lord's will. And then Mary goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth, in the hill country of Judah. Um And when Mary arrived and greeted Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's belly leaped for joy um, at the sound of her voice. 
Um, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke a wonderful blessing on Mary. Um, and Mary responded with a song that we call the Magnificat. And again, this is all in Luke chapter 1, if you want to catch up. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth and Zechariah for three months. Now, when she got there, Elizabeth was in her six months of pregnancy. So, by my math, how things generally work, Mary was there for the birth of Ioannis the Baptist. <laughs> yeah, I've got to work on that one. Baptiste, yeah. John the Baptist. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up the story in, in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. And I want to look at this passage in two separate pieces, uh, the actual birth of John the Baptist and then Zechariah's response uh, to his birth. And the first, the first part of this story, it needs to be by itself because it is one of the funniest accounts in Scripture. It's okay, I think, that it's funny. It's okay to be funny. We'll see. Maybe it's not funny at all. Doesn't seem like it at this moment. So let's look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have named him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard of them, heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So I want to stop right there. So this, this is really a story of a miracle, right? Elizabeth and Zechariah, well beyond childbearing years, um, and they'd never been able to have kids, so there was a certain amount of shame in their culture on them um, that they weren't able to produce kids and, and continue their uh, their line, their lineage. Um, so when the time came for the baby to be born, uh, obviously that drew a lot of attention um, from their their neighbors, and most of them they would have been related to. It's kind of like living in Ossipi. Um and so it was a, it's a tradition, it was a tradition then to wait until the baby boys were circumcised to name them. Um, you see that with John, you can see that with Jesus, it's the same thing. They weren't given their name officially until they were circumcised. So like for eight days, they're baby X, I guess, um, or schnookums or whatever. I don't know. Um, uh, so this was the case with with uh, with John, and like I said, you'll also see the same in the account of Jesus' birth. But when the time came uh, to circumcise the baby, there was a disagreement about what the baby should be named. This is why I think this story is funny, because this committee of friends and relatives that shows up, they decide what to name the baby. Like, who on earth do you think you are? 
you just get to do that, I guess. I mean, you know, this is our town and we're going to name the babies whatever we want. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me at all. So this this group of yahoos shows up at the, um, they're there for the birth and the circumcision ceremony uh, eight days later. And they decide among themselves that it makes the most sense to name the baby Zechariah because that's his father's name. And that's just what we do around here. And this is the problem with committees. <laughs> you know, who <laughs> you got uh, a lot of uh, un- misunderstanding about the power that you hold as a committee. They have no right to do this. Um, and so, believe it or not, the baby's mother speaks up and says, yeah, I think we're going to take care of the naming part. Um, it's actually taken care of already, guys. Um, so, you know, we can table this to the next meeting, I suppose. It, Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, his name is not going to be Zechariah. His name is John. Um, and like any reasonable committee, the group responds with, of course, you're right. Oh, yeah, baby's name is John. Yeah, yay, John. Yoannis, our favorite no, that's not. They're not content with her answer. Sorry, Mom. Let's go see what Dad has to say, because you're clearly, you don't get a vote in this committee. Um, none of your relatives is called by this name is the response. Now, I don't know that I can, uh, I can proper, properly get the, the inflection uh, of this statement to really, well, none of your relatives are named that. Uh-huh. With the eye right. Who do you think you are to name him something, you know, outside of our Oh my goodness. This is what a crazy response. So finally they turn to Zechariah, the baby's father, imagine that, and ask him what his opinion on what the baby's name ought to be. Now remember that Zechariah couldn't speak. And verse 60 verse 62 says, "And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So that's kind of, it's this verse that suggests that he may also have been deaf. But it's also possible, according to my own experience with aphasia, um, that just because he couldn't speak, um, they just spoke really loud to get him to, (laughs) and make signs to make sure he gets the message. It happens. Um, so anyway, Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, which I learned an interesting fact about this. There's, um, there weren't a lot of Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencils around in the first century, which is a, is a shame. Um, so what kind of writing tablet, what, what, what was this? So I did a little bit of research and it was, um, a piece of wood with wax smeared on it, and they just kind of carve in it with a, a stylus or a stick. Um, cool. You know, learn something new every day. I thought that was interesting. Um, and and he wrote the words, his name is Yoannis, his name is John. And where Zechariah's initial doubt about what the angel had told him how that initial doubt was rewarded with with dumbness 
His eventual obedience to the instructions given to him by the angel was rewarded with speech. Um, and I, I can't help but identify with this. Um, after being physically not able to speak, and then you can. It's a feeling I can't describe um, in a way that you would understand, I don't think. But we'll just look at Zechariah's response in verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah's silence of unbelief was exchanged with a wonderful song of praise. After nine months of silence, Zechariah speaks. And he doesn't speak words of complaint about his condition. God, why did you do this to me? He doesn't chastise the committee. Listen, you knuckleheads, it's our job to name our kid. Butt out. He doesn't shake his fist at God lamenting why a loving God would do something so terrible to him. Instead, he sings a song of praise. And in that song of praise, we learn a great deal about how the Old Testament believers understood Messiah, like what Messiah was supposed to be uh, and do. The, old, the, the scholars call this Old Testament Christology. So again, you can... Impress your friends with your expanded vocabulary. It's just Christology is the study of Christ. We kind of, we do it all the time. Um, the Old Testament study of Messiah. So Zechariah gives us a wonderful picture of what the Old Testament faithful um, believed about Messiah. So let's look at verse 67 to 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us, he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child, John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
Uh, Warren Wiersbe broke this song down into four parts, and I want to kind of, well, steal his outline, but it's uh, it's on the internet, so it's free. You can do that. The four parts of this song, the opening of a prison door, the winning of a battle, the canceling of a debt, and the dawning of a new day. Kind of the four verses. Verse 68 describes the opening of a prison door. I think, I just think these are, these are powerful pictures. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now this is, uh, again, more study and vocabulary for us. Um, the Greek word that's translated here, visited, um, it means to be present to help, like uh, to be on hand to aid, right? Um, not like you were there and I came over to your house and we had coffee and then I left. It's it's more than that. It's it's not he came and then left. It's that he is present and his help is available uh, and was given to his people. As Psalm 54, 4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. That's that's what this visiting means, is that God is present to help. Yahweh is the helper of his people. And he has also redeemed them. And that's this is where the prison door um, comes. The word to redeem uh, means to set free, to liberate, to deliver. Uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary says, redemption is to purchase something back that was lost um, by payment of a ransom. Right, when we start to use the word ransom, I think we get a, a better understanding because um, we're familiar with that concept to pay a ransom. Um, somebody's kidnapped and they give you a ransom note. You pay the ransom, they get set free. Right? That's what God, who is our helper, has done. He has paid the ransom so that we could be set free, right? He opened the prison door through the death of Jesus Christ. And that's, um, that's really important and really good. And make no mistake, as Joel reminded us last week, mankind is under the curse of sin, right? Since the fall of man in the garden, we have been prisoners of sin, Everybody. But God, the Lord of Israel, is present to help, and he has paid the ransom so that the prison door could be opened and people could be set free from sin and its penalty. That's what he has done in Jesus. Verse 69 through 75 describe the winning of a battle. Says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I want to stop there, um, so that we understand the symbolism of a horn. Uh, this is not like a trumpet. Um, this is like horns on a bull. If you see a picture of a cow and a picture of a bull, which one is stronger? The bull. Why? Because it looks that way, right? Because it's got horns. Cows have 
udders, which is nice, but horns, I mean, that's your serious business, right? Unless you're lactose intolerant, that doesn't matter. Right? That's, the horn is a symbol of strength. Now that's why rhinoceroses look more intimidating than hippos. They're about the same, except for the whole horn arrangement, right? It's a symbol of strength. Anyway, that was a lot of extra foolishness, sorry. So he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, I want to be really careful with these verses because this can very easily be misunderstood. To be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This can easily be misunderstood and mistaken for a political or a social statement. What I mean is, if you are Ukrainian and read this, you can easily think that this is about the Russians. If you are a conservative in America, you could read this and very easily think this is about liberals. If you're a liberal in America, you could very easily read this and think this is about conservatives. All right. Zechariah's statement was not political. It was not social. It was spiritual. I've said this before, and I'll say it again every opportunity I have. People are not our enemy. It doesn't matter what country they're from what army they're in, what side of the aisle they sit on, what color their skin is, people are not our enemy. The better we get at living that way, the better this world will be. But we do have a real enemy, and it's the enemy that Zechariah was talking about, and that's Satan. He is our real enemy. He tries to trick us with sin that promises joy and life, but leads only to the grave. And he does that because he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our faith, and he wants us to die apart from Christ. That's victory for Satan. The devil and his demons are the ones that we are at war with, not people. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's not people. We have weapons to fight. 
But sometimes I think our swords are rusting away in their scabbards. I know that's true of me. I justify leaving my sword in its scabbard because I have to study the Bible every week to come and teach. Right? So I I read the Bible and I read what people say about the Bible and pray about what the Word says. and, And that's great. But sometimes you've got to read the word for yourself. And so, this week, um, I was convicted that I have let a lot of discipline go in my life. And just reading God's word every day, I have a over four-year streak going on Time Hop, a little app on my phone that shows me what pictures I, I took or posted on this day, every day. And if you, it's one of these stupid app streaks, right? If you do it every day, you get a sticker. Woo! And I've got a four-year streak going on Time Hop. And I don't even come close with God's Word. I look at dumb pictures every single day. What about God's word? Years ago, I had a practice of uh, reading five psalms a day. And that's easy math to do. There's 150 psalms, 30 days in most months. Read five psalms a day. You get through 150 psalms in 30 days, right? Easy math. So I sat down and did that this week. starting on the psalm for the whatever the date was. And I read, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. <sighs> Thanks, Lord. This is what's available to us, rusting away in our scabbard, at least mine. These are the weapons with which we fight the word of God, prayer, resisting temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit, praying for the release of Satan's captives. People are not our enemy, but they can be weapons for the enemy to fight with. But when we tell other prisoners about freedom through faith in Jesus Christ, that's how we win the battles. Verse 74 says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, Satan and his demons, that we might serve God without fear in righteousness and holiness before him all our days. Verses now I'm all wound up. Verses 76 and 77 speak of canceling a debt. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. 
the ministry of John the Baptist was to go before the Lord Jesus and prepare the way for him, prepare the way for his ministry. John called people to repentance, to turn away from their sin, a practice that we've lost. Not very popular. To turn away from sin and turn to faith in Christ. John called people to repentance and Jesus called people to faith to be forgiven of their sin. Jesus spoke of sin as a debt in Luke chapter 7, which we'll get to in like two years uh, at this rate. Um, J.P. Lang wrote, There is no salvation without forgiveness of sins, no forgiveness of sins without the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus came to give knowledge of the truth so that people could have their sins forgiven and their debt erased so that they could have salvation. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Right? Sin is a debt that we owe to God that we can't ever repay. John 19.30 records Jesus' last word from the cross. It's the word tetelestai. We translate in English, it is finished. Not, it's not quite. It's more accurately, the debt is paid. Tetelestai is a financial term. The debt is paid. The debt that we owe because of our sin was paid by Jesus on the cross. He said to Telestai and breathed his last and gave up his spirit. His death on the cross paid our debt and he paid it in full. Finally, verses 78 and 9 speak of the dawning of a new day. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now that sounds a lot like the words of Isaiah 9-2 that we read at only at Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Who are those that sit in deep darkness? Who are those that sit in the shadow of death? It's those who don't know Jesus yet. And once that was us. That was me. And now we have the light of Jesus to guide our feet in the way of peace. The way of peace is peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have peace. That's the only solution to the conflict. Paul described living that way of peace in Titus 2, 12 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's how we're to live now in the light of this truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. We thank you for this story of your faithfulness. This song of Zechariah and the understanding of the Old Testament saints. Lord, I pray that you would deepen our understanding of who Jesus is and what you came to do, what you accomplished in your life and ministry, your death and resurrection. May this become more real to us every day. I pray that you would turn our hearts, turn our hearts to you. We couldn't help, we couldn't dream of going a day without reading your word, hearing your voice. I pray, Lord, you would continue to refine us as people. Continue to draw more people to yourself. If there's anyone listening who does not know this salvation, does not know that the debt has uh, been canceled, paid in full by Jesus, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to their hearts. They would ask you for forgiveness and accept your salvation, the free gift, and give their lives to you in return. Lord, help us to always live with this truth in our minds. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.